Episode 91 is here, everybody, with Robert Bowden and R.R. Slanian. Friends for over 25 years, fraternity brothers at Ohio University, and Robert is making a nationwide tour. One of his stops was here in Cleveland because he thought this was going to be his last summer. We get into all of it. The, the gist of it is he was diagnosed with a terminal illness back in late 2018, had surgery, fast forward to April of 2019, had a surgery. They realized it wasn't what he was diagnosed with, and now he's got a second chance at life. And Incredible story, fascinating story, really appreciate Robert's time, one of my favorite episodes to date. But before we get to it, folks, please make sure you click subscribe, join the Optimal Life family if you haven't yet. We continue to grow. We are inching closer and closer to episode 100. So we are going to do something special with 100, like I have teased already on episode 90. I'll tease it again right here at 91. Uh, my mother is coming on for episode 100. She wants to uh, interview me. So we'll see what happens with that. But in the meantime, like I said, click subscribe, join the family. And then once you have, be ready to be blown away by the next hour and a half conversation with the two and only Robert Bowden and Ara Arslanian. The Optimal Life. This is cool, though. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Good to be here. Good morning. A beautiful morning for you, huh? Awesome, yeah. So, you coming in from L.A.? That's right. Not a direct uh, route straight here, but, uh, yeah, by way of a few places across the south and making my way through the Midwest, yeah. Nice, man. Nice. Yeah, we were just talking beforehand. You've got a pretty wild outlook on life these days yeah it's um i mean i've always said that life's a gift and I've always tried to live my life like that but sometimes uh life makes you you know actually cash in what you believe and and, and show it not just you know walk the walk or talk the talk but walk the walk so yeah before we get into it how, how long have you guys known each other for we've known each other for almost 30 years Jeez, man. you know my first memory of this guy He's gonna laugh about this, but uh, I have no idea what it is. Uh, <laughs> and Robert, you bring do, that a little closer to you, right. brother. You do. You will remember this. Okay. <laughs> so he's like, uh, "Where are we going with this?" Yeah, one? I, I, no, it'll be, yeah. it'll be, it'll be quick. I, uh, but one of my first memories, and he, he and I, and I'm surprised it hasn't come up in the last, I don't know, few times we've been together, which has been sporadic. Yeah, but lately uh, it's been more. Late, lot, lately, lately, but more, more, which yeah. is fantastic. It's awesome. But. Uh, one of my earlier memories is we, we, we were fraternity brothers in college and uh, we had this party and it was a wedding party kind of thing. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and in the, uh, in the spirit of, of the old Eddie Murphy movie, uh, coming to America, you were the preacher. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. And the whole night you would come up to me and go, if loving girls is so wrong, I don't, I don't want to be right. <laughs> <laughs> And how many times did he say that that night? I don't know, probably sixty or seventy. I think it carried on well beyond that. Yeah. But you got to imagine, you got to imagine him with a full purple robe on. Yeah. I think you may have you had a wig on. I had know, a wig on. Yeah. Like a, and, and you had a Bible in your hand, and and, and it was like I one of these shotgun. It was yeah. a shotgun wedding yeah. kind of thing, right? Oh, like okay. People just get get a little crazy, and and he was obviously with his dynamic personality was the the preacher that was supposedly I don't even know who was supposed to be getting yeah, there. Just, it was just a big old yeah. party. But. So normally with that that party, what, whichever couple <clears throat> in our house had been together the longest, That's right. like usually either the sweetheart of the house or someone that had been together three or four years right. earlier probably, we would have a party just, you know, so a simulated wedding to get ready for the barrage of weddings that you have after, after college. college. Right. So Wait, it's where'd kind you of guys like go to school? Yeah. Ohio University. Oh, OU. Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah, nice. so it was just a thing and, and kind of being their preacher along with being 
uh, the couple is kind of like the featured deal. So it was a pretty high honor for me, almost like a class clown type award. That's crazy <laughs> when I when you think about people that are in college that are in relationship committed relationships in college for, right. you know, for, for years. Three Bad or four idea. Years. Yeah, it's like you you can do that for the next seventy five years after college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like this is your one chance. To to just experience and and your one chance, <laughs> you know Not what mine. I mean. <laughs> That's right. This is your one chance to just experience and just kind yeah. of see what's out there and you know, yep. enjoy yourself. Uh, I always found that funny when I we had friends that were just tied down in a relationship in college, and then most likely you're not going to end up marrying no, that person. Now it ended up being a long arduous. Well, you know <laughs> what the the couple so. One of the coolest things about it is I did do it our senior year. So normally it's the couple that's been there the longest and the senior couple. And I was the senior probably class clown kind of guy or whatever. And then also the year afterwards, I don't know, I came back for that. Do you remember that? I kind of do. So my girlfriend was still in school at OU. And uh, so I was down there on a regular basis, semi-regular basis. And they thought, wouldn't it be great to, to bring him back for? Because it was always kind of a surprise who the preacher was. And they did come out. People kind of knew, but it wasn't official. So my year after school. I came down. I remember on Friday night, I was you know sitting on the main street, but you know above the bars, and uh, I could look out and I saw my fraternity brothers and everything, and I couldn't be down there because they didn't know I was in town. Oh. So the way that they started the shotgun wedding the second year is that um, they had a guy up there, Travis, mm-hmm. uh, who was like a hilarious, kind of almost a John Candy type guy, super funny, and he starts going through their thing and says, you know what, I really can't do this. I'm having heart. I was like, come on, you can do it. He's I like, I've about got that. He's like, I've got someone that can. They can you know, that's can probably help me out. And I remember it was probably one of the best moments of my life. Like probably top five for sure. I come out of the, the door from downstairs from up in the yeah. pit that we have was down below, like the basement. And when I open the door, everyone he points back and everyone turns and the people rushed me so hard <laughs> that I actually went down. Really? Yeah, yeah, like I, the next thing you know, they I'm like staring at this. It was you. They were yeah. like, "No way!" He's been, I, I, and I just, just <laughs> raged my ass. Oh, dude! And it was like a year after college. Crazy. And, and I tell you how th- different things are. Think about that now. I was one year out of college, right? Twenty-three. Right. Right. And I remember thinking, man, people are gonna think this guy's a loser. Like, this he guy's an old. He's, he's an old right guy. Right that can't, can't get, can't get over rid of the past. Whatever. And I'm like, it was. I literally had graduated five months before that right right <laughs> so, so it, w- it was crazy five months before that i had just graduated and i was still worried about the whole you know you know that's how's that, that gonna look great. yeah that's wild man yeah that's why but when you saw that you're all those guys and you're like god that had to be such a cool thing for you the butterflies right because they don't know you're there they don't know i'm and there you're looking down and you're like holy shit they're there they all are yeah and i remember that'd be crazy yeah it was great and you know my girlfriend at the time had to kind of go out and, and i was just sitting in the upstairs window because athens I mean, three stories was a skyscraper there. Yeah, and yeah, I was, exactly. um, she was on the second story above a place called Artifacts. Yeah, was, I remember Artifacts. Yeah, yeah it was just kind of like a little jewelry place, those that are all over right now, but it yeah. was like one of the original ones. And I just sat there in a window and just watched everyone walk around, see them after, and I just sat there. It was awesome, though. And I was like, the tomorrow's going to be twice as good to make up for me sitting up here, but oh, I just sat great. up there and watched it. it that's cool. crazy. So yeah. how'd you guys end up becoming, fr- I mean, fraternity brothers. Yeah. yeah but we how, just what, hit it off. Just hit it off, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we just hit it off. Like, I mean, right away, we we kind of always Sense of humor. Just crack. You know. Smart ass. Yeah. Right. Make, making fun of each other. You find the, the two coolest guys in the fraternity, they just naturally link and up. Naturally that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and our mutual friend, um, Jesse, probably, yeah. too. He was, a guy, Jesse, was probably my best friend uh, in the fraternity within a year of being involved in it. Right. And then those two, you guys actually got, did you guys get tighter after college? Is that fair? Uh, yeah, we actually, uh, 
we were but my senior year he had uh, graduated already but he was like uh he kept coming back like a loser <laughs> he was <laughs> like he me. was the actual loser <laughs> that's why we were friends we just no but he Jesus. was he was oh, no, sorry. What, what about uh what about um halloween at ou you know that was amateur hour I feel like that was amateur hour, don't I you? Feel think like so? amateur hour right now. Yeah. Oh well, look at this. A little coffee yeah. spill. Hey <laughs> man, it happens. He's excited. We're bringing him back to his college days. He's things a little coffee. bit more full than I thought. Jesus, <laughs> that's all right. All right, take care of that bill for me. I'm going to meet my friends I haven't seen oh, in it's years. All right. and it's all right. That's all right. It's okay. Clean up there. Yeah, it's, good. it's all good. This is what happens um, when you start talking about college. Dude, I'm getting, excited. Getting excited. Hold it in already, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's, you're so old, you can't even hold it in. But what do you mean amateur hour? Because so, Halloween was always like the big to-do. It OU. is. It, but yeah. it's a big to-do for everybody that didn't go to OU. I mean, don't that's, get me wrong. We means. had a blast. It was fun. Yeah. And, and you knew where the, the, the kind of the parties were in on campus and off campus. But... Uh, it was always more fun, I think, for other people that came in town visiting than it was for the people. Most of the um, fun times down in Athens were they had these street festivals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, typically in the fall or spring, uh, just off campus. And, and it would be, you know, all people from the campus. See, the thing that makes OU really great, unlike some of the other schools in Ohio, is, uh, or anywhere really for that matter, is is people, you had at the time about 16,000, I think, were yep. there. And nobody really left Athens. I mean, you had a few people that would like drive back up to Columbus, maybe an hour. You mean on the weekends? On the weekends, right. they stayed there. Yeah. It was like a, it was a it was a centered college. Yeah, and town. it was far, it was far enough, uh, eighty four miles from Columbus. Right. That that if you needed if you needed to take somebody out on a date. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just far enough that you weren't going to just pop over to another town. Right. So it's, it was just far enough that. People stayed. Yeah, that's, that's it was good, it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was like a far far enough distance where it became kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, you had to really. To it was somewhere. it was like an event and something you had to plan. And really you had to plan. Exactly. And nobody wanted to. I mean, it wasn't like you wanted to leave. Yeah, you, you, right. It was like this. This. I know. went to Miami, Ohio. The same exact campus, except on the other side of the state. Yeah, I mean, same right. same experience. Yeah, yep. you know. So, um, so for for you guys, Halloween was just it was another it, weekend. It was another weekend that just harder to park. Harder to park. More people. All these fucking implants coming in now i will say this there were <laughs> there's some funny ass costumes that yeah. i saw during halloween yeah. one of my favorite I'll, <laughs> i remember seeing uh these guys dressed up as construction workers yeah. i remember like these dudes there was probably like five or six of them i mean i think they were non-ou students but they would <laughs> they were sitting there right in the middle of court street and, and partially it was funny because that court street was always under construction there was something like, <laughs> the, bricks, the bricks were always like yeah. but these guys had jack legitimate jackhammers and we're, we're jackhammering, like, I don't know how they didn't get arrested. And they would jackhammer for 30 seconds. <laughs> and then they had pots of coffee and, like, thermoses of coffee. And they would just sit there and drink coffee and go, hey, we're on break. And then they'd do it for a minute. Hey, we're on break. We're union workers. We're on break. And they would just do this. Like, I'm like, that's a night. Like a perfect costume. People just kept coming up to them. Dying laughing, going, You guys are the laziest motherfuckers. They're like, Hell yeah. <laughs> and of course, their thermoses were loaded with probably Jack booze Daniels and booze, yeah, right? Yeah, but it was man. hilarious, man. But you saw some creative stuff. I mean, dude, college days are some of the best days yeah. of your lives. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of sad because it's like your first 18 to 22 years of your life, and it's like these are some of the major highlights that yep. you're gonna. It gets better in different ways, but those crazy, wild nights where you just. Make memories and, and yeah. build relationships that last life. That you don't you don't have those kind of interactions and relationships once you leave college. Yeah. It becomes more work like and things change. It's, this kind of twenty five years you don't you don't get that like when you're thirty five and you just start becoming yeah tight I, with somebody over yeah. you know what I mean yeah and it's especially I mean being in the Greek system and you guys are 
you know, not only is your social life overlapped, if you played in intramural sports, sports always bonds people, right? I mean, 100%. That's, that's a deal that, you know, when I have moved around, if I play on a different, you know, tennis team or flag football team, those guys are immediately your friends, you trust them. It's like some guy's good a wide receiver, you're all of a sudden asking him uh, stock market tips. Well, he must know because he's, he catches all our touchdowns. Right, right? exactly. So in, in the fraternity, you have the sports overlap, obviously the scholastic part, which is kind of what you're technically there for, and then the social thing. So you got all that mixed together, and you live together. Yeah. So there's just the bonds there that are, you know, the military is probably the closest thing, and those guys obviously live together. Agreed. And lot, you know, lots of stuff like that. So yeah. I think it's it's really cool. Um, well, I have a really quick funny story, too, from Halloween. Now, I always thought... I didn't have a car, by the way, Ara, so I didn't have a problem. I only had one one year, so... <laughs> you got to throw that and in Believe there. me, you wouldn't want the car that I had. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, I remember thinking, uh, and I've always kind of looked at, when there's something that goes down, a situation, whether, you know, natural disaster or something like that, and it, and it just creates an anomaly or a weird situation, I always look, well, how, how can I, you know, help slash benefit from this situation, right? right. So, I remember one time, uh, I was at the Crystal, and the Crystal, none of these places charge cover charges. Right. Right? And, but everyone knew they wanted to go there. And I'm like, you know what? These people are off from out of town on Halloween. I go, I'm just going to start collecting cover charge from the people at the doors. <laughs> Quite the I mean, capitalist. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sitting at the door, and uh, I have the you know the doors all pushed back, and I just get one of the stools, and I sit right there. I'm like, how you guys doing? They're like, good. I'm like, come on up. I'm like, it's going to be five bucks to get in, which five bucks is like... That's a lot of money. It's like fifteen or twenty dollars right now. Yeah, and I'm like, it's five bucks to get in. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's Halloween weekend. They're like, okay, people are just giving me money, and, I'm, and people are like, oh my god, Tex, what are you doing? I'm like, collecting cash. So I probably collected maybe forty bucks, uh, which, which I mean, that's enough money for the whole weekend. Yeah, right, you. for sure. Because you know we were drinking quarter beers back then, <laughs> and and the, and the and the guy comes over, and says, hey, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I heard you're collecting money up here. I'm like, God, oh, just you know, have a little fun, you know? It's like having fun. You're taking money from people. And I'm like, yeah. I go, yeah, but I'm also carding them. I'm like, yeah. so who's supposed to be carding at the door? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing no your I go, job, I'm actually saving your license. Yeah. He's like, we're going to call this even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I got away with 40 bucks. Move, bro. That's great. Yeah, I was like, these guys don't know there's no cover at the crystal. It's five bucks. <laughs> That's great. It's Halloween Tonight's weekend. five bucks. Yeah. That's brilliant. I paid for my whole weekend. That's, That's brilliant. <laughs> College kids across the country are doing that shit now, <laughs> listening to this one. They're going, I'm yeah. doing that shit next time. Hey, you, you can report me, but you're going to lose your license because who the hell is supposed to be guarding these guys yeah. walking in here? Yeah, it's true. How long have you been playing tennis for? Actually, I really started playing at OU to, to chase a girl. There was a woman that was down below uh, on the tennis courts hitting balls, and I was always like, oh, my God, I want to meet this girl. And I was down there and just swatting around, you know, just acting like I knew what I was doing. I hit some balls in in uh, high school, uh, but not not really taking it any seri very so seriously. So just college, huh? Yeah, just college, oh. and I started playing there, and uh, I loved it. I think that uh, I grew up playing a lot of basketball and baseball. Never was awesome at either. It was decent at both. And um, a lot of the movement you know, in tennis is a lot like playing defense in basketball. You kind of how you shuffle your feet side to side, right. stuff like that. And so I picked it up relatively easy. And then the baseball part of it, the hand-eye coordination. So it kind of fed into what I already was doing a little bit. And I actually ended up dating the girl for like a year and a half. Mm. The, the girl that you were going for? Yeah, I went for it. Damn, yeah. dude. Yeah. Nice move, man. All you got to do is pick 40 up. Love, yeah, baby. Say, 40, 40 love, baby. 40 love, baby. Maybe 20. And yeah, you know what's so funny? Today. I was just watching. That's so weird. I was just watching uh, on Jamie Foxx's Instagram. It just, you know, like you're on the search tab and it just pops up. Are, are you on Instagram or not? I'm not. Okay. Maybe I need to be since Because Jamie Foxx, remember that when he was doing that, he posted a, like a throwback. Remember when he did the ESPYs and he's playing at the ESPYs years ago, like 15 years ago, and he's singing a song to Serena, I Want to Be Your Tennis Ball? 
No. You've never seen it? No. Oh, dude. I, and I love so him and I love her, clearly. Good. It's so good, man. I got it's it's so good. I just was watching this on uh, on Instagram. I want to be your tennis ball. That's I want to be your tennis ball, Jamie Fox. That I was just watching this right before you got here. Knew nothing. Knew nothing that you did. Uh, that I played tennis in high school. Did you? Yeah. And the same thing. I played baseball growing up. So for me, tennis was a pretty natural progression. Yeah. It's that hand-eye coordination. Where was this thing? Oh, here it is. Oh, she's there. This was like a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like when Emmett Smith was like. Did you see it? Keyshawn? Oh, Keyshawn was dating her at the time. Oh, USC, what? baby. That's right. USC. We'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Oh, that's Jamie good. Fox's talent. He is. Which reminds me Ray of Charles. A, reminds me of a oh, quick joke. Dude, he's yeah. so talented, Jamie Foxx. Reminds me of a quick joke. Now, one thing I can tell you, if I have any talent, is remembering jokes. So we're gonna uh, to tie all that together. I don't just tell random jokes. So I'll tie together, you know, the tennis ball, Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx. So, what do you call a tennis match between Ray Charles and Helen Keller? A tennis match between Ray Charles and yeah. Helen Keller. Yeah. What do you call it? Endless love. <laughs> a little Luther, a little Luther Vandross in that bitch, huh? I mean, hey, you mix it up. You got the tennis in there. We got Jamie Foxx. We got Ray Charles. We got we got Luther. Love. Love. Come we on, got it all. Man. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's man. What, what were you? You said something about USC. What was what's about USC? Yeah, so I, you know, like I've mentioned before, on the way out from LA, um, I actually went to grad school at USC. Okay, so. I'd been looking into grad schools when I was living in Atlanta, which is where I lived uh, from the Olympics, 96 to 2005. And I was looking at going to some schools in the Southeast. And then I kind of, some life events happened and I ended up just deciding to move to the West Coast. And uh, when I got out there, I told people, oh yeah, I came out, I was interviewing, kind of dropped the grad school idea. And they're like, well, there's schools out here, West Coast, yeah. I was at Thanksgiving dinner. And um, they're like, hey, why don't you look into some of the schools out here, business school? And I went and met UCLA, met U Pepperdine, USC. This is a Thanksgiving. And I ended up uh, hitting it off with the admissions director at USC. This guy and I just clicked. He was on his way to Australia for a summertime mm -hmm. uh, uh, or, you know, some trip for the wintertime, uh, I guess for like Christmas, something like that, with his girlfriend. And I had lived there for a little bit. And so I've given him some recommendations on what to do and actually gave him someone's name. Hey, check this guy out, whatever. He's like, oh, man, I like you, whatever. And he ends up um, telling me, well, if you can score X, Y, Z on the GMAT, I'll give you this much cash, this much cash. And then he ends up saying, like, well, if you can score this, I'll take care of the whole thing. And I ended up getting that score that I needed to get to wow. get a full ride. And so, you know, so I'm super loyal to USC. I mean, they gave me a full ride, and 
Um, I'm now involved on the alumni board with them, and so Keyshawn's part man. of the that's awesome. part of the family. I'm part of the Trojan yeah, family. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Which is great. And 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 uh, it's always fun to get his texts back in the day when back, US, in, the back day. in the day when back USC was actually day. competitive. Yeah, relevant is the relevant, word, yeah. right? Like the Reggie Bush days. Yeah, Pete Carroll, Reggie Bush. You know what? Even before that. You know what? Though, let's be honest. And, and, and I'm just well, I know you were a big OJ fan. Well, I mean. <laughs> Bam, 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 bam. All right. So, so uh, <laughs> anyway, that's great. Okay. So anyway, I would like to say on the record, wherever this ever gets published, is that USC unfairly sanctioned for what happened. Yeah. Reg- Reggie Bush, this whole thing off campus. This is my two cents, my soapbox. You know, Pete Carroll does the program now. Just for the record, we lost a total of ninety scholarships. Yeah, over six years. It's like the, almost a death, mean, it's a death penalty. It, it is. Right? It is. That's and, why they've. And it's more severe than the penalty that Penn State got for what happened with those kids yeah. on campus with their coaching staff and affiliates. Yeah. And this is, you know, Reggie Bush's stepdad in San Diego. I mean, yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say that's just West Coast biased. <laughs> you know, we hate USC. Here's a chance. You know, if you can't beat us on the field, beat us in the beat office. Us up, yeah. Beat us on, you know, paper. Yeah. What's LA That's all like? I'm What's say. LA like, man? You know, LA is, you know, I can't remember the number that people use as a cliche, but somewhere like let's say 55 cities merged into one. It's it's kind of everything you want. People will say, "Well, I don't like LA." I'm like, "Well, what part were you in?" I say, "Well, you just don't like that. Maybe you don't like Venice. You don't like the weirdos, the hippies. Uh, maybe you're in Beverly Hills. You don't like the glitz, the fakeness, whatever." Um, but whatever you want, it's there. It's I mean, that, there, that's yeah. that's what I feel like. I mean, I've lived, you know, overseas a couple different times and lived all over the U.S. And no matter what type of person you are, I think that there's a spot in L.A. for you. Well, that's the thing. You know, so that, that's the thing. It's not like it's uh, – you don't get the characterizations of people from L.A. Unless it's like the stereotypes of the Hollywood because that's perpetuated the movies. But like in New York, you can say, oh, people are kind of hardcore. And no matter where you're going to Manhattan, it's kind of like that. People are hard. They're kind of – you know, in a rush, in a hurry. You can kind of generalize some cities. Um, but L.A., it's hard because you've got so many different towns. You've got, you know, your Korea town. You've got your arts district. You know, you've got your beach towns. You've got right. your conservative pockets. So it really, it, it, it's whatever you want. So I think that if you find a place in L.A. where you fit in and you can live and work there, it, they call they call it bubbles. There's bubbles all over. You don't, you know, leave your bubble. Where are these flies coming from in my basement? This is ridiculous. I don't it's know. Creepy as I think well. it's going to land on your pants. I tell you, dude, I mean, I am not happy about this, this, this pants situation. To come too. It's like, what's going on here? There's two flies flying around us down here. Um, it, so, so, so LA is, is uh, yeah, that's the thing. People either love it or hate it, but the thing is, yeah. is that you could love it and you could hate it at the same time. Like you're saying, it just depends on what your experience is. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, the traffic obviously gets a bad rap. It's really, and it is that bad. I mean, it's as it's worse than what you think it is. Um, in the 90s, though, um, real quick, real funny anecdotal story. My very first night in L.A., mm-hmm. in my entire life, I was I had no plans to live there, no idea I'd live there in the future. I had gone out to Palm Springs for uh, a conference. Uh, I was working in pharmaceuticals at the time, right out of school, out of OU. And uh, so this was uh, January of 94. Keep in mind, I had graduated in June of 93. So I've been out of college for seven months. Went to Palm Springs. Was like, man, had never been to California. It's like, well, I didn't want to go to LA and San Diego and check it out. So left Palm Springs. Took the week out of that, uh, the week after the conference off. Went down to San Diego. Was traveling with a buddy of mine who ended up meeting a girl the first minute there and thought he fell in love. 
and abandoned me for the rest of the trip. Uh, I'm like, I remember uh, telling him because you know you're you're 23. I was making thirty five thousand bucks a year. I'm like, you know, we're splitting the hotels and the rental car, whether you stay with this girl or not. Because <laughs> you know he gets there and he just falls in love with literally the first girl that we meet. And I'm like, dude, if you did that already, imagine the rest of the trip. Just come yeah, on. Yeah, and, and and the plan was we're sharing all the costs. We're sharing all trip. the costs, yeah, and yeah. we're going up. And he's like, you know, I'm gonna stay here with her. I go, you can stay, but I'm I'm going to L.A. So I get to L.A. on a Sunday night. I hung with him on Saturday. Get to L.A. on Sunday, my first day there. And I remember there were these couple older girls that were like 25, 26 that played uh, beach volleyball in Manhattan Beach, which is the volleyball beach capital, you know, mm-hmm. or the cap- capital of beach volleyball in the world. Uh, Olympic players and stuff are down there. Anyway, long story short, I'm staying with them, and they were friends of a friend. And that night, that Sunday night in January, was the night of the Northridge earthquake which is the last major earthquake to hit L.A. So that was my very first night in L.A. Ever. Wow. I'm out of here. Was, was the, the night of the Northridge quake. No, it was actually the opposite. And because, now, I, unfortunately, I was not hooking up with these girls. Um, and I was on the couch in their living room. And these girls were kind of like the ringleaders of a group of awesome, hot volleyball players. And so we had gone out that night. You know, till probably one one thirty. Bars usually close at one in LA, which kind of sucks. You have to know after party people if you want to do something like that. So um, about three thirty four, you know, the quake was at four thirty. I shook. I, I felt like you know what I thought was someone had reached over the couch and and shaken me on the shoulder. Wow. Now I had to. I was supposed to be getting up early to drive to to Palm Springs or whatever um, to make my flight back. Let's say like a ten in the morning, something like that. And I thought, first thing I thought is, man, I was drunk last night. I overslept, and someone shook me. Right. So when I so when I opened my eyes, and the room's fairly dark, there's a little bit of light coming in through the uh, the blinds. I, I sat up, and I and I looked back, and I didn't see anyone, which is scarier than if someone actually shakes you, because I'm like, I know I just moved. Right. And the second I looked over my shoulder, all of a sudden the couch just kind of comes up like, like you're on one of those. Uh, chairs that's in a, in a pool like one of those pool lounge chairs mm-hmm. just kind of comes up like a wave and slams back down and there's no one there and I'm like what in the hell and then immediately before you can even think here comes the earthquake and it starts rolling and um, you know the, the little earthquakes that we have now are like, they're almost like feels like a semi runs into your house just kind of shakes you a little bit but this is like a coffee grinder under the ground just whirring going, super man. loud tons of bass and all of a sudden you know all the car alarms start going off and, and the, the blinds are swinging. Stuff starts crashing. It was unreal. And the girls are screaming. I'm pandemonium. And you think, well, you know. And I'm <laughs> the girls were screaming or you were screaming? <laughs> I was screaming <laughs> like a girl. Like, hey, I was screaming normal. like a girl. And so I remember thinking, okay, I got to get in the doorway. Which, by the way, you don't do. You don't, that used to be the thing. It's reinforced to get in the doorway. Well, now what'll happen? The door will it'll sway this way and it can stab you and kill yeah. you. Impale you. But the bottom line is I remember thinking, I need to get in the doorway. And I, and I got off the couch, and, and it was so violent, this, this shaking, I couldn't even keep my balance, and I was on all fours. No shit. You think about that. I mean, you're on all fours. You think, well, I'm stable. What, what, was, what kind of, what kind of uh, impact was it? Like a six, seven? What kind I don't of know. Fuck? We, we, can, we can look it up, but, yeah. I don't, I don't, but it's the last major earthquake in L.A. It's, uh, it was January 15th or January 16th, 1994. Yeah. It was Martin Luther King morning. It was uh, the North Ridge. North Ridge earthquake. Yeah. North Ridge earthquake. We're looking it up. And uh, while I look it up, somebody kill these damn flies. I, I I literally literally could not keep my balance, and I was on yeah. all fours. I mean, just amazing. Well, but then it turned into something awesome. Everyone's screaming. Six point seven. 
6.7. That's severe, man. It's, and well, the thing about it too is uh, Magn I'm not, magnitude. I'm not sure if the magnitude is also attributable to how long it lasts, but this lasted like 30 seconds, yeah. which is an eternity when you don't know when it's going to end. Oh, that's a long time. 30, man. 34 seconds. But the great thing is, all the girls from the neighborhood or that little area, they all came over to these girls' place because they were like the ringleaders. So all of a sudden, I went from being in this room by myself. 4.30 in the morning to like 10, 12 girls that are scantily clad hanging out on the couch and you know, panicking. I was like, this is the best thing. Ever. He's like, I'm never leaving. I'm like, best earthquake ever. It is. I'm never leaving. It was and you never it. left, right? I mean, you've well, been. Yeah, well, that, that was in 94. Yeah. And I eventually moved there 11 years later. Oh, okay. So, so good. Yeah. So you've been there for the past like almost 15 years. Yep. Now, I, I left a couple times, but just, but. Keep but you keep back going back. Yeah. So you were teaching, you've been teaching tennis. Beach tennis. You've been teaching beach tennis. What yeah. is that? So beach tennis is, it's a lot like badminton. That's probably the best way to describe it. Um, the ball is the same size ball as a regular tennis ball, mm -hmm. but it's decompressed. So anyone that plays tennis knows that, you know, when kids are learning, they tend to hit the ball over the fence and scream home run also. So there's these decompressed balls um, that are not like ours balls. And um, and, they, and uh, he's a fraternity <laughs> brother, man. He's seen it all. Decompressed. <laughs> and so um, there's paddles that you play with that are similar to pickleball, which is picking up a lot of steam right now. And uh, it's badminton. It's on the same court uh, as a volleyball court for two on two, and uh, all in the air. Uh, but just you know, it's it's on the beach. It's awesome. It's a That's great. Awesome. If you if you've played any paddle sports or if you've played any. Uh, or even beach volleyball because you know the movement in the sand is a little bit different and jumping off sands way different than jumping oh, off yeah. hardwood or any, anything like that um, it's just a great game and so volleyball is much more I would say technical and difficult to learn so I, I didn't want to pick up a new sport when I was got out there and I saw that and I'm like hey it had the name tennis in it that's about as much like tennis as it You're is like oh last time I did tennis I started a new sport I I ended up with the chick, the girlfriend. Right. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. This might work out again. Yeah, it, it's a great sport. It, there's about maybe 20 guys in the world that make their professional living doing yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to um, say. Like some Italian guys and some Brazilian guys. Um, but it's a big sport. Uh, but if it's a great workout and it's, it's fun, great it's workout. challenging. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and it's, you can play co-ed and it's fine. I don't think there's a lot of sports, in my opinion, you can play co-ed that it's true, cool. True. Well, um, speaking of, because co-ed... So, Take us to into the last summer because you're teaching this beach tennis yep. last summer. Yep. There's a girl that you were either teaching or you're friends with. She comes up to you, right, and, and yeah. says, "Yeah." So I was I was teaching uh, starting in June of last year, um, maybe late May after uh, Memorial Day. I was teaching beach tennis in Santa Monica, and so the the home of beach tennis in the United States is in Hermosa Beach, which is just adjacent to Manhattan, which I was talking about for the uh, the volleyball. And so I lived in Santa Monica, which is only 11, 12 miles north of that, but a 50-minute drive probably. And the people from there don't want to really go down to Hermosa because it's a two-hour commitment just on the road. Plus, you know, we're having drinks on the beach. It's just not a good idea to go back and forth. So they were like, we'd really love to make a footprint or have an imprint up in Santa Monica. I had lived in Hermosa and I was there. They're like, why don't you start doing beach tennis in Santa Monica? So I started promoting the sport, which involved you know, getting not only tourists and locals, you know, involved in the sport, learning about it, understanding the rules. We had a prominent spot there on the boardwalk uh, just north of Venice. And I was giving lessons and uh, teaching on Saturdays and some Sundays as well. And, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, a woman that's uh, a psychologist, actually, for the VA, uh, was taking lessons with some of her other friends for me. And I actually called, called off sick the weekend before uh, Labor Day. 
uh, was just not feeling well, and just unusual because I usually can fight through stuff like that. And uh, was she it did, Labor Day or Memorial Day? So I started teaching. But you started there, but then Memor- the Memorial Day, okay, and gotcha. all summer. Then I was going. And I was going to basically go till Labor Day. Gotcha. And all of a sudden, and, and the last week I was going to do it, I wasn't feeling great, and so I, I actually called off. And one of the girls, you know, said, "Hey, well, let me stop by if you're not feeling well. Can I bring you some, you know, soup, popsicles, Seven Up, the stuff they bring you when you're sick." And uh, when she stopped by, and she's like, "Rob, you look, you look thin. You look like you've lost some weight." And I'm like, "Yeah, I haven't been eating that much. My stomach's been bothering me." And she's like, "No, like from the last time I saw you to now, you significantly look skinnier." And um, you know, I've always been a more of a thin guy, and uh, but I haven't fluctuated outside of 185 more than five pounds in probably 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And so when she said that, and I jumped on the scale, I was in the mid 170s, which I hadn't seen that in probably 20 years. And then I checked again a few days later after trying to eat and pay attention to that, I was back down to 172. So I was a little bit alarmed and board shorts a little loose and uh, ended up not doing any more tennis. You know, that was the last beach tennis lesson that I taught, actually. And it was just, you know, last time I was on the beach playing beach Mm -hmm. tennis. So, you know, that progressed. uh, You know, I was a little bit worried and went and saw my doctor. My doctor recommended MRI, uh, CT scans, see if there's anything going on. Initially thought now that I know I've talked to him, they thought I might have some sort of cancer or some sort of tumor because they're like this weight loss you're having, it's rapid. Right. Normally that's associated with cancer or something like that. So I was pretty scared, but at the same time I felt well outside of these stomach issues. And so when they're going through all these uh, the scans and, and issues with me, they're you know trying to figure out you know what the deal is. And uh, meanwhile, I was just get progressively getting worse. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So. Uh, you know, as this went on and on, I ended up being diagnosed with a. You can uh, close that door. Or get this. Get that. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful that co- I heard that coffee. Watch that coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do this. I'm gonna owe you something for this. <laughs> no, no, but, no, no. But um, so bottom line is, I ended up getting uh, diagnosed at the time with a, a terminal illness. Um, called primary. And this was what? This is when? When was the, when was the diagnosis? It's our, The diagnosis, I believe, I'd say it was October. Okay. October of that year. So keep in mind, this happened really. September is when I really started being sick. So and in, in August, not feeling well. By September, Labor Day, yep. I'm calling off practice, and by October, so two months later, mid October, so maybe basically eight or nine weeks later. Wow. Um, you know, and this PSC is actually. Uh, what Walter Payton died of. So primary sclerosing cholangitis, it's called. And, uh, and my thought was, my God, if this killed Walter Payton, it'll definitely kill me. Yeah. No problem. And uh, when I looked into that, um, the year that Walter Payton died was, I think it was in November, the, I want to say it was maybe 99. Uh, but he was only diagnosed in January of that year. So 11 months from the time he was diagnosed. And of course, he's going to have access to the best health care right. medical stuff out there. Um, and ultimately, you know, without getting into it too much, the disease oftentimes will progress into liver cancer. So it starts as this, you know, cholangitis or a chronic inflammation, and inflammation can, in a lot of parts of your body, will can turn into cancer. That's why it's a big deal. Not only just the fact that inflammation is uncomfortable, but a lot of times it can lead to cancerous cells. And so that's what happened. Walter Payton. He developed this disease, uh, and and his big thing that people notice about him, if you ever look back on YouTube or something like that, there's a there's a uh, press conference with his son who was announcing where he was going to play football, which is obviously a big deal because of who his dad is. But the sports writers and the people that were talking to him kept focusing on Walter Payton. And they asked him, you know, you look like you've lost a lot of weight. And that, so the same issue that 
you know, Lamise, this person that said it to me, that's what they say in him. Like, man, you look like you're real thin. You look like you lost some weight. Right. And, and Walter Payton, really emotional guy, just kind of broke down and started telling. That's how he, you know, released to the world that he had this oh, disease. Okay. It was okay. It was an unintentional deal that happened <clears throat> at his son's press conference. So it kind of overshadowed that. And uh, that was the first time, really, on a national stage, PSC, and he got, got any attention. Okay. And uh, to this day, actually, Mike Ditka is now the head person. Uh, for the PSC Foundation, I want to say, mm -hmm. because of Walter like a Payton. spokesman or something. Yeah, a spokesman like that. And, yeah. and, and and weirdly enough, Anthony Ditka, who is the president of our fraternity when R and I was there at one point, is Mike Ditka's nephew. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is kind nice. of a complete circle there. But anyway, so PSC, that's what I was diagnosed with, Walter Payton's disease, they call it. Jeez. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was stunning. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, here I am teaching tennis, feeling good. Living with L.A. life. Yeah, ne life. never had any... Uh, chronic disease or illness in my life and uh, you know all of a sudden this thing got a grip on me and it was literally by the week you know taking me down a couple notches so that was October that right? was October October yeah. of 2018 2018 yeah. yeah so not even a year ago yeah and then take us through the winter time December where, where, where's your weight going what's going on with you yeah so you know the big thing that was going on is that my appetite was just awful I, and I was really looking for solutions. So if I had to characterize, and I have all this stuff in the notes of my phone because I was just trying to really keep a, an accurate account of what was going on, not only just for myself but for physicians because I realized this is going to be an ongoing deal and I want to kind of chronicle what's happening to me. So as November and December are going on, you know, I've never been a guy with a big appetite anyway, but I started making it a priority to try to eat. And so I, was, I knew I was consuming more food than I normally was, but I was still slowly losing weight. Maybe a pound a week, pound and a half a week, even despite how much I was eating. Oh my gosh! And I was and I was looking on YouTube. And I was just searching for everything. You know, when this when something like this happens to you, you know, the doctors are one thing, but then you you know everyone's doctor Google, right? You start looking into it and trying to figure out who's had similar situations. Just type in all your symptoms, see what pops up. And you know, uh, actually marijuana. So I had never really been a big, you know, marijuana guy. And people are like, hey, it can help you with your appetite. So when I initially did that in November, I was hospitalized in October, hospitalized in November, uh, and a friend of mine had brought some edibles in. I was like, hey, you're already in the hospital. How much lower can you get? Just right. try it. <laughs> you know, so I remember I, I, I popped this edible, uh, and all of a sudden I was just crazy hungry like an hour later. I'm like, oh, this is great. So again, my, whole, my focus at that time was I thought this was just a stomach digestive issue. They hadn't figured out what was going on. Um, I hadn't gotten the PSC diagnosis yet, and uh, I just thought, you know, I've got some sort of pain. Something's going on. If I eat more, I can sustain my weight. And, and oh, it, you it, hadn't been diagnosed with that disease yet? No, no, not, oh, okay. not in uh, October. Oh, okay. So that happened, Yeah, I want to say late November, December. Okay. December is when that so happened. So you're going in and out of the hospital, hospital trying yeah. to figure out what's going on at this yeah, point. Yeah, because I, I would have these, what I would call attacks, where I had a severe pain, uh, nausea, my fever would spike, things like that. These are all symptoms of PSC, by the way. Okay. And so the doctor had mentioned the disease to me, but hadn't given a diagnosis. And basically, it's one of these things. There's no litmus test like yes or no, like HIV or something like that, where you can just test and it's positive. It's more like if you have all the symptoms, you have PSC. And I had all the symptoms. Um, so, you know, the doctor's basically like, hey, you've got to just come to terms with this. You, you know, you talk to people from UCLA, from Stanford, <coughs> you know, you've got this. And so I started looking in the support groups, other people living with it. Uh, and one thing that was strange about it is the progression that I had. Normally it can take 7, 10, 15 years to kill you. Uh, 12 years, I think, is from the time you're diagnosed. I was already at the stage that people are at, I mean, 10 years in, 
like right away. That was the one strange thing about it. Which How I would you know later. what stage you're at? Um, well, just the, the severity of the, the symptoms, symptoms I had. The yeah. severity, okay. Yeah. And so, so based upon your research, you're saying, okay, this looks like, it feels like it's someone that's had it for a decade or... Yeah, and, I, and then, but then, you, you know, your mind, you start to look back on like, well, did I ever have symptoms before a doctor's asking, did you uh, ever have, you know, this before? I'm like, yeah, and, I, and I'm talking to my mom about this. She's like, oh, remember you visited me a couple years ago and you said the same thing? So I start looking, I'm like, you know, I probably had some symptoms of this for maybe five or six years. Okay. So maybe, you know, this is what, it, you know, you just don't want to believe that this is happening. Right. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to, and you're, you're looking for any avenue that you can slither out and be an exception to what's going on. You know, and, and basically the doctor's like, you got to face the facts. This is what you've got, and you got to start, you know, eating the right way and doing what it takes. And it, it was just a real come to Jesus. And my mom came out to visit. Uh, sister came out. Sister works for the FDA. She's got pathological, you know, background. So she helped me read my reports and understand what was going on with me body-wise and everything. And it was scary. Sure. It was very scary. Mm -hmm. And this uh, is right around Thanksgiving now? You're thanks, getting close? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Thanksgiving. <clears throat> I think, uh, so my mom came out, or my sister came out in October, November. Um, Christmas time, I didn't travel back east. Usually every year I either come back for Christmas or Thanksgiving. Didn't travel at all. Didn't What's leave your mental life. state during this, the, like your emotional state? Um, it was frustration. You know, I was definitely frustrated. I was, um, I, I was worried. I was worried for my family, how worried they were. When my, I remember when my sister came off the plane and she saw me. And I just lost so much weight. I remember I, I had a watch, you know, that, that you know, this is just obviously has a strap on it, but one of the ones where you have like a, you know, a clasp, right? So it's kind of fitted to your wrist. And I had my watch on, and it it would like spin over to it was the hanging, bottom, yeah. like you know. And my sister saw that. I remember when I was picking, and, and uh, she likes, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom, you know. And she, she came back out. I mean, I've been, I've known the girl since she was born, so I could tell she'd been crying, uh, like just seeing me in two seconds. And so I started realizing the strain it's putting on my friends, my family, and stuff. And I'm just like. It, it was it was just tough, you know. I tried to stay optimistic in in the respect that, uh, you know, I, I am alive. That I, I you know, wasn't right. about to have an you know an imminent death, but I was feeling worse by the day. Frustration, frustration, and depression. And, I would imagine in some. You know, I I just I don't want to say it not from a pride perspective. But I just don't think I ever got to that. That I was concerned about that. I was concerned that. You know, I would just get frustrated and then be looking for a way out. I mean, and I'll be honest, I, I do have, you know, a couple of firearms that I keep at my place. And I had a buddy of mine take them from me. Oh, I didn't do that. And I, but I thought that was just because before I got to that level that maybe that might happen. You I just actually thought, it, thought to I thought, yourself, I want to get the, rid of these things. Yeah, just, just in case I go into yeah, a real... You only got you only got to have one bad moment. That's right. Right? How did you feel, Ara, real quick, before before we get into that? <clears throat> when he called you and gave you the news, I mean, this is your 20, a friend of 20 yeah, plus Yeah, I mean, it was, was well, you know, it's funny because he, he said it earlier, his disposition in this whole thing was unbelievable because we have a text ring that we, uh, me, him, and another buddy have just constantly keep going. It's been years. Yeah. We just have this yeah. ongoing communication. So we yeah. may not talk for a few months, but we'll constantly communicate almost every day. And uh, you wouldn't have known it. He just would hit little things like, hey, guys, I'm dealing with some pretty serious stuff. And we'd say, well, what do we need? What do we need to do? How, how you, what can we do? And, and, and I think it was because of he just didn't know. You know, he's, you know, and, and uh, I had seen him last, um, got down to Miami. Uh, with with Arn. Oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. I was at a conference down there, and and he and he had surprised me and showed up. This was a few years ago, and, and looking great, and we had a great time and, and a great night. 
and so uh, the next time I saw him was was actually in March, which I know we're getting to, but um, that's I, I was out there for business and, and um, drove down drove up to see him. He, he's in Santa Monica area, and and yeah, I mean I saw him and and it was kind of a cooler night. I mean yeah. it's, it's Los Angeles, right? In March it can be cold, and uh, I was <clears throat> I was floored when I saw you. Honestly, I mean you know that. I mean he had a scarf on and uh, looked frail and thin and kind of was like in this his, his apartment complex kind of had this this walkway and it was like a silhouette I'll never forget how you looked um it, you know kind of like tall like you've always been and, and a little bit gaunt and I was just like my god you know he looks uh he looks different you know and and and, and looked really frail but the minute I saw him um like it, it was as if whatever's above the neck doesn't change you know I mean, yeah. you may have been been feeling it inside but my god as soon as i got there it was like it was it was the same you know connection yeah same personality same personality same we we ended up going out in fact he was busting my balls he's like you know i'm gonna die so you gotta buy all the drinks tonight <laughs> you know the like thing gets a lot of mileage he gets a lot of mileage out of that gets a lot of mileage out of that. i'm like all right man i'll buy you yeah. uh, so well, he's uh, still here, so maybe he goes you around. I think so. Uh, I at know. least, but, at um, least. But yeah, we, we ended up, and it was awesome because the, the way he rallied that night, we went around, we walked around, um, we hit a couple different places, and yeah. just kind of talked and connected, and he gave me the you know the full detail of what was going on as much as he could, and and um, and again, I mean, from what you were just saying, from December to March, I mean, you had a whole litany of things you had to deal with, but 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 seeing you. At that point, um, to, to today is like mind-boggling. I mean, it's, it's amazing, and, yeah. and and there's a and, and and he knows this. I mean, you know, as you get older in life, right? I mean, you, things get frailer, right? You, you just your friends, you lose family and friends, and, and we lost a really close friend of ours. In fact, a couple of days ago, he, he had a chance to spend time with the family of, of our friend who passed about five years ago, and uh, and that always stuck in my mind. I'm like, mother effort, man. I don't want to another one. Another one, yeah. you know. Yeah, and then yeah. we're not talking about like casual acquaintances. Right. Like, we're talking like, about these are like brothers. These are these yeah. are your your, yeah. your boys. And so um, so anyway, and so, I just feel yeah. so thrilled and that yeah. he's here. That, so so that's like December. You get the the diagnosis, the diagnosis and then yeah. you go and get a second opinion, correct? Go get a second opinion. Same time frame. Same time frame. Okay. Uh, some specialists up. And in, you're going to like the top places, right? Yeah. UCLA, NorCal, and then um, St. Joseph Medical System. Which so these is are our, these are cream of the crop. Yeah. Institutions. Yeah. Okay. And uh, multiple specialists, and uh, you know, just searching for answers. And you know, this PSC thing, just you know, without getting to the technical side of it. Um, and what and what I do want to say too, you know, in defense of those places, that this disease is, is extremely rare. You know, you have it's like one in a hundred thousand that's out of the general population. Now there's some populations that are in uh, northern Europe, Scandinavian, where it's more prevalent, so they they see it there. So they think it's really a northern European disease, which is kind of funny because I'm African American. So I did my uh, 23 and Me, and I found that I'm 10 percent, you know, European, like you know, Irish, North Irish, like that. And I'm like, well, this is what I get from that 10 percent. This is some bullshit. <laughs> Why can't I get the part that like owns a bank? You know what I mean? I get this. The, the part with the, with the rare disease. He's like, I'm ten percent white. I'm like, and he goes, and I got to get your shittiest diseases. <laughs> and it's that ten percent that's killing me. I'm like, here. my god, I've heard yeah. of the man keeping me down, but this is crazy. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it, it was just, it was is insane. So, um, you know, I mean, it, what I'll say, like, like I said, these guys did a great job. As a matter of fact, the guy that is working on me now, that uh, 
help figure out that that disease wasn't what I had, he said to me, he said, the guy that worked you up originally for this, he's, he said a lot of the tests that he was doing for you were, were outside of his specialty, and he couldn't have worked you up better if you were his brother. That's what he told me. Wow. He goes, right, right before I went to my surgery, okay. he goes, I just want to tell you that. And it was, it was kind of those moments where I was like, am I about to die? Because why is this guy telling me this? And so he's like, he couldn't have worked you up better. And I remember I was laying in the hospital bed on you know, the gurney about to go into the OR, and I said, well, let me call my doctor and tell him. So I called him up, and I, and I said to him, I said, this one time what these guys told me. That normally they have to put you through 10, 12, 15 tests after all the tests you've already gotten, uh, but before they feel comfortable to work on you. And he's like, and I get like two or three. He's like, you couldn't have done a better job. And he's like, man, he's like, I love you, man. I'd, I'd do anything to help you. Wow. It, was, it was really emotional. And I mean, yeah. this is like seconds before I went into the surgery where I found out I didn't have this disease. So the surgery, that was, in was, April. the surgery was in April, right? That was in April. Okay. It was exploratory. They were going in just to look around, see what, how, what my system looked like, to see. You know how what what kind of a candidate I'd be for uh, a liver transplant because on liver transplant it, it's based on um, it's, it's several factors but like other transplants is you know how severe your need is how much life expectancy you have you know I'm not I still have decent amount in front of me being you know late 40s I guess maybe 30 40 years expectancy versus someone let's say it's 75 right? Right, right then also you know what's the cause of your pathology is it because you were just boozing all the time is your liver jacked up because of that well that puts you behind someone that just has some natural. So concern. they believe that you. This was like a, you were diagnosed with a terminally ill. A, 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 yeah, terminal illness. Terminal illness. The, and the liver only, related. Liver related. Bile gotcha. duct related. Yep. Okay. Um, not the typical liver function that you think of that processes alcohol and and drugs, but just the creating the bile and and getting that bile into your your system. So you know, just the real quick and dirty on that. The whole reason that I couldn't gain weight and I was losing weight doesn't matter how much food you eat. If the food can't be broken down and the and the you know the nutrients out of it processed by your body, so I, I liken it to you know I, you know from the Midwest in Ohio before I leave, you could stack up steel in front of a a plant and just because you push it through the plant, cars don't pop out the other side. Right. There's the process in the middle that has to take place, that's right? Nice doesn't, it's a good doesn't matter how much you stack up there. So that's what I, I was stacking up steel, pushing it through, no cars coming because the process in the middle wasn't working. And, and you know the, the body is amazing and. Um, you know, if things aren't in exact harmony, this stuff goes sideways. So it didn't matter the amount of food I, I was force feeding myself. If you can't get the nutrients out, you're losing. So weight. what are they telling you to do for that first quarter of 2019, January through March? Uh, did you schedule the surgery? At, uh, you know, how far ahead of time? So I didn't. I that's I wasn't scheduled for surgery. You weren't scheduled. I was just in the hospital because I was so sick. And so and the, you're losing weight every week. Was, you're down to what? You went down to 145. Lowest, Holy shit. 6'3", 145. 6'3", 145. And you're typically walking around 180, 185. Yep. Yep. Okay. And um, so I went into the hospital just because I was having insane abdominal pain, fevers. Uh, I mean, this stuff is uh, eyes yellow, like Michael Jackson thriller, cat yellow eyes. Uh, my eyes were yellow a little bit all the time during this, but they got really yellow. Uh, you know, urine, dark as coffee. No kidding. Yeah, like could, can't see through it, like that dark of urine. Wow. Um, so and what's life like if you could just give us a glimpse in those January? This is the beginning of this year. Yeah. January, February, March, the winter. Yep. What's life like? Are you are you not leaving I'm, the house? I'm not. Yeah. You know I mean, my goal, like when when our came out in March, my goal at that time. This is you no. Know, keep in mind, I mean, I'm insanely active. I'm on my bike every day, going to gym. You know, four days a week if I'm doing well playing tennis a couple days a week to now not playing tennis not going to the gym this and this is august like in one day i went from doing this up teaching tennis 
to I didn't go step in the gym from August until January or February and that was basically just to stop by to cancel my membership I mean things stopped cold by the time it, it slowly uh, progressed by the time I saw all right my goal was to get out of the house and do something that was not related to my medical condition going to the doctor once a week just once a week once a week one day wow. a week so CNR would be that day I remember St. Patrick's with my 10% hours that was a day mm -hmm. I remember I went out for two hours I had fish and chips and I literally told my buddy I said I'm sorry I brought you all that here but I got to go back home so I was I was bed bound wow. I was laying in bed uh, 20 22 hours a day holy shit um, I, I you know I, I just didn't have any strength and I was in constant pain and it was uh you know, I, I caught up on all of Game of Thrones in like six weeks. I, watched, I, watched, I went from zero to catching up with everyone in a few weeks. I watched a lot of documentaries. I just I just laid there. You couldn't move. I could not move. It was, I remember one time, we have street sweeping. That's the big thing in LA to get you for tickets. Um, I had to move my car because the street sweeper is coming. From the time I left my house, the time I came back in, which just consists of me taking my car, getting a new spot and coming back, it took me 45 minutes. That's normally wow, seven or eight minutes. Mm -hmm. Just because you were so... Just so, you know... Diminished. Yeah, I, I mean, I was walking down the street like I was 100 years old. Like, people are walking past me. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm 6'3". I mean, I'm usually yeah. walking past you're everyone. you're physically fit to yeah. that dude. And, yeah, and yeah. I, everyone's walking past me. Anyone who's walking down the sidewalk would walk past me. That's how slow... And you know what? You get to the point where you just... You don't care. It's not that you don't care about life, but you just don't care that, well, this girl's walking faster than me. That's fine. And were you on a bunch of medication at this point? No, I tried to really, you know, that marijuana smoking and the edibles was probably my best medication to keep me from being nauseous and give me some sort of appetite. And even though it was giving me an appetite and because and, even though you're you're eating, you're not getting nutrients. So your body keeps telling you, I need more food. I need more food. But it's not getting it's not doing nutrient. anything for it's you. It's not doing anything. doesn't matter how much you stuff down. So, wow. you know, this helped with the nausea. Uh, you know, music sounded amazing. That was that was one of the best things about doing it. But um, so really, I was on no prescription meds. They gave me, they offered me opioids, which just make you. That's not a good scene. It's no, it's so not. yeah, so I just uh, I just was man, I was just suffering through it. And when wow. my sister and family saw my mom came out just before I saw Ara, and they were like, hey, you know what? You need to come back to the East Coast where you've got family, people that can support you. So we made a plan basically for me to. Uh, come out you know to the east coast and basically have my sister take care of me she's got a place in dc okay and uh until you know the end comes basically that was the idea so that was around march and then when does the surgery get scheduled so so, the, so in april i was admitted to the hospital like i told you and i there was no surgery planned i, I went in the hospital just because i was that sick and when they triage you they kind of judge you how sick you are versus everyone else and this is a hospital an er full of people and I was triaged to number two out of like 50 or 60 people. Wow. You know, along with someone that was like 90 and looked like she was about to die in five minutes. Uh -huh. um, and uh, when I was in there, that's when they said, you know, we need to go in and take a look around because this is just, we can't find anything. We need to, to evaluate you and see what's going on. And uh, the, the procedure I had, was, it's called an ERCP. That's where they go in and they look around. It stands for endoscopic retrograde. Sounds official. Calangio pancreatography. Wow. Which means they shove shit down your mouth and go <laughs> all the way through. That's basically what that <laughs> stands for. <laughs> shove shit down your mouth. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and go and look around. And, and that's when I had that procedure where I, I literally went in, just there looking around just to see, 
test some lymph nodes, see what you know I, if this really was cancer, what was going on. And I wake up four hours later, and they're like, "Hey, we put this stent in. Your actual your bile duct had collapsed, which we couldn't tell from the any of the scans and stuff we did. And we opened it back up. You're going to have biofilm. and we think you'll be a lot better." Well, backing up, you thought that the procedure was going to be one hour. Yeah, correct? that's right. That's right. So I, the <clears throat> procedure was scheduled for six thirty on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, they just scheduled it on Tuesday. So, you know, I worked a medical device for years, and most planned surgeries, for whatever reason, usually start at like 7 or 8 in the morning. Anyone's out there that has surgery, whether it's elective or whatever, they normally, that's kind of like a stable time. The doctor comes in, it's kind of the first thing they do. If the case lasts longer, you've got people. When they're scheduling you for 6 o'clock at night, you're that's pretty much one step above someone that comes in from a car accident, right? Okay. It's, it's like you're added to the calendar because they've already got a full book. You know, surgeons usually book out about a year. They jam you in. Yeah, yeah. Because so, they, they have cause, to. Because you, you, you have, have to. to. If you're yeah. going in at 6.30 for a surgery, it's, it's you know, damn near an emergency. Okay. So I already know that. And I know I'm getting, you know, this. they determined this on Tuesday. I went in on Wednesday at 6.30. And it's supposed to be awake and back out probably by 7.38. And by the time I came to, it was 10.30. Wow. And you're going, what the hell? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm waking up and I'm realizing that it's that late and, uh, asking questions, they're like, well, the surgery didn't go exactly as what we planned, but they, they think there's some good stuff. And matter of fact, by the time I came to, it, it took such a long time that the staff, you know, they skedaddled home. They were gone. The doctor was gone. Everyone was gone. Yeah. And so Quiet. it's uh, it's it's one of those things where to, to us, you know, obviously your health is everything, but to these guys, and, and it, there's ups and downsides to this, but it, it's just their job, right? It's crazy. I mean, right? they've got, it's they've like got, they, fact. yeah, they're like, to well, you, it's I, everything. I, yeah, they're like, well, like, I mean, I've got my kids, you know, soccer practice. I got to be. A, you know, dinner's got to be on the table at eight or whatever, and six thirty. You know, I gotta yeah, go. For them, it's like I, I, I would never leave here if we, if we base the metric off of people being sick. You right. Know, you, you would never go home to see your family because everyone's there's Every, always right. sick Life people coming on, through. Right. So right. right, and and it and it's you know, and and having worked in the medical field and, um, obviously benefiting from that, you know, financial wise and everything, it's it's a, it gives you a different outlook. You know, for me, I mean, it's not. I think the things that I did before is as far as sales. You know, I, they're great for people and everything, but I don't think I had the full appreciation for what the people on the other side were going through, which I sure, do now. Sure, sure. So that, that's probably one thing that I took away from this, just to be, a, you know, it's okay to be, you know, happy and be going through your day, but always keep in mind that this is someone's dad, someone's brother, someone's sure. something. Yeah. You know, even more so than just, you know, how much you would think, I should already think that. It's just a little bit more when it's you, you realize, man. So when I woke up and everyone's gone, you know, kind of feel like, man, well, shit, well, you know, you guys from giving Why are you leaving? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're leaving it's Uncle Tex. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and when the doctor called me uh, the next day, they're like, well, they've got some good news for you, but, you know, they'll let the, they'll let the doctor talk to you. Well, I'm like, all right. So that night, it's so like... So were you, you stayed in the hospital, obviously, yep, overnight. Yep, I was in the hospital for, okay. yeah. So they come in in the morning. So they, come, got, they called me. They called you, yeah. Called me. The doctor calls me and says, oh, Robert, I got some good news. We looked in and... You know your 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 bile duct actually had collapsed, and I put a stent in there. And he goes, "I think you're going to be, you're going to notice a rapid improvement." Well, well, also let me also keep let me say this: at midnight of that night after my surgery, I all of a sudden had a hunger attack that was like it was the Hunger Games, the Hunger Olympic <laughs> Games. It was like something I've never had before. I'd never been so hungry in my life, in my life. Just all of a sudden, I looked at the nurse and I said, "I need food now." And she says, well, you're, you're, you're on clear liquids. I said, no, no, I need food now. I, I need it now. And she's like, well, I, I go, give, give me sandwiches. So I said, I told her, I said, I will leave. I'll get it up. It was that I'll, bad. Yeah, so I'll, I'll walk out of here. Yeah. I'll order Grubhub. I'll, I'll do Uber Eats. I'll, I'm getting food. <laughs> so they started bringing me food. And you guys, I never ate so much in my life. 
sandwiches, uh, the, the potato jello, chips, potato all chips, stuff. salad, anything in front just of me. Just shoving it just down. Shoving, and it was, it was, I think I have a picture on my phone of just the carnage of all the wrappers of the stuff I opened up. And I never ate so much in my life. I just, I was famished. And wow. I woke up in the morning, ate more. And a matter of fact, the day shift came in and the nurse comes in. She goes, oh my gosh, we're, everyone heard about how much you ate last night. <laughs> I mean, that's, oh, that's that's She goes, is everyone talking about how much <laughs> I mean, and, um, like, and like I told you guys, uh, you know, I was out of the hospital uh, 48, 72 hours later, nine pounds heavier than when I... So the doctor I, calls you in the morning, which is amazing. He says, we, we, we cleared shit out of there. Yeah, we he, don't think it's liver. What are, what are they yeah, doing? Yeah, he, he said, he said uh, you're not, he goes, you're not going to read this in any books. He's like, but... You know, he goes, but I've seen basically. I mean, this guy's super cocky, which is what you want for your doctor. Yeah, you want fighter pilots and your and doctors. You want to be cocky. Exactly. So he says, you know, when you push against the tissue, you know, if someone has this disease, he said it kind of looks like a like garlic or like a onion, like how it wants to like flake away, like you know, like that little bit concentric circles type thing. He goes, and I looked at eight different spots along your bile duct, and I couldn't cre recreate that. He's like, and I'm just saying, no one else might tell you that. He goes, but I've seen more of this than all these guys put together. He goes, and when I pushed on it, I could never see it. I never saw it. And that, to me, says you don't have it. Even though that's not in the books, everyone I've seen that has it, that happens. That has the P... PSC. PSC, okay. Yep. Said, it shows up in everyone. He goes, and you do not have that. Wow. And he's like, and so this thing's going to... He goes, I think that this... you know, and there's, and there's a reason as to why it presented in a way that appeared to be PSC. And the bottom line is, you know, that is a one in a million type of thing of, you know, just uh, my anatomy and, and some scar tissue that I had. That, and matter of fact, my case was then presented less than two weeks later at a symposium. I want to say in Vegas, the doctor called me up and had additional questions because they wanted to give a full case on who I, you know, on my background, not, you know, not me, my name, but just all my history. And they presented this to a group of some of the top specialists in the country, in the world, in Vegas, and said what do you guys think this guy has? And no one came up with what I had. Not none of them. And these are top specialists at a convention. No one. They're like, nope, this is what it was. And everyone's like, wow. So what was it? So so it's a bile duct stricture is what it's called. So if you picture um, uh, picture a tube that, that where stuff's going straight through, whether it's a water hose or just like a piece of piping, then all of a sudden picture uh, an hourglass like that you turn over, how it's thin in the middle. So picture all of a sudden that, that thin part that small part, okay. being like a bottleneck, or a that's called a stricture. And so everything was being backed up by that that small stricture. And what would happen is, as the pressure would eventually come, because that's everything's getting backed up, it would then open up, and things could flow again. So I was having this intermittent opening and closing, which is what the disease does to you. And so it looked like that from the outside, but they've never seen this where this was happening intermittently because of my anatomical. Whatever, just, the just the anatomy right? of yeah. the body. Yeah, but and it's it's in a the, little bit more in the liver area. Yeah, it's just below the liver. So, so the the common bile duct is wow. is connected to your liver, your gallbladder, and your pancreas, and those and those things Jeez. all empty into your small intestines to start your digestion. So, August, September, you feel like crap of eighteen. The winter time, November, you're being November, December, you're being diagnosed with this disease, this rare disease. Multiple opinions. You're deteriorating January, February, March, April. You go in and you wake up the next four hours later after the procedure. The doctor tells you the next morning, we don't think it was any of that stuff. What in the world's going on in your mind at this point? Just no way. I was just like, no way. I'm like, I, 
I mean, <laughs> I, I was just, I, I cried a lot. I was with a friend of mine who I just saw my 30th year reunion uh, from high school was just last weekend. And uh, my good friend Chris, uh, she was there actually in the hospital room when the doctor called me. And, uh, you know, we've been through a lot together. Just, you know, I've known her for 30 plus years because, you know, we graduated 30 years ago. Uh, I was just stunned. I was, I don't know, I can't, I can't even, I can't describe it. I just, I, I just was, uh, and I was stunned. I, I, I couldn't, and, and I kept thinking I was dreaming. Like, I kept thinking, like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be right back and have this disease, right? Oh, how scary And is I, that I just, you know, too. it's just like if you, when you dream, like, when you're in school that you, you failed the test or that you're missing the test and stuff like that. It, it was like that. I would just think I was fine. I'm like, I, you know, I, I just couldn't get my head around it. It's the biggest. Because you go, you've been living this for, like, nine months, this yeah. nightmare. And, 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 and again, going back to, just like I had talked about kind of being embarrassed of, when we were talking about going back to school, being a few months later, like, hey, I'm a loser. I'm gonna... I, 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 I had some guilt around, well, shit, everyone's feeling bad for me. I'm, I'm going to be you started, you started feeling bad after, after all, dragging all... your whole family and friends through it. Like, I should just continue to... <laughs> yeah. That's weird how we're all, the brain we're all trying thinks, to, man. We're all trying to harvest livers. That's yeah. weird how the brain yeah, thinks. Right, all of a sudden you feel right. bad that, you're not, that you may not, might not be dying. You're like, holy shit, I'm feeling bad that I've been dragging everyone through this crap. Yeah, I, I had like signed up for to go to support groups and all stuff, other people that have this stuff, and I'm just, you know, it's almost like that survivors, and it's so weird, because I remember seeing people on TV saying stuff like that, like they've survived, unfortunately we're going to another mass shooting weekend we had here, which is awful. Um, oh yeah, I saw that, Walmart yesterday? Or? Walmart, and then yeah. El Paso, so two, two in 24 hours, yeah, yeah. and people having the survivors go, I mean, and, and here I am, this wasn't even like some big thing that happened to a bunch of people, it's just to me, and I, and I did feel that way, I'm like, oh my Mom's coming out in here, and people are coming out, and that's so strange how and the it, brain goes there. Yeah, and yeah. I, I never would. Now that's something I never would have thought that I felt like that. I'd be like, hey, you know, you, you have no control over that, right? right? Obviously, I'm not gonna play sick to get some sort of sympathy or sad points or something like that. Um, but but I did feel that. It was a natural feeling. I just felt yeah. like, oh my gosh, everyone's gonna be like, holy shit, he, he looks fine. Like I'm gonna see some friends today, and I'm sure they're gonna <laughs> look at me and be like. Dude, you're, you're fine. Like, Other what? than that stain on your pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, getting that out. So the doctor tells you this, and then uh, you, you go, so he goes, we're not sure, if, we're not 100% yet, but we believe this. Right. right? So and then, then they he, had. And you leave the hospital, a couple days later, you've put on 10 pounds again? Yeah, I put on nine pounds. Uh, by, so I had surgeries on Wednesday, by Sunday, I gained nine pounds from the, the my 145. And you haven't gained weight in like six months. I've only lost weight. in, in only all, losing weight. Yeah. In, yeah, in eight months. In eight, eight months, months, yeah. I had only lost weight. So the first time I saw the, you know, every number that I saw when I got on a scale, I never would see that number again. Every time I got on it. And it got to a point where I stopped weighing myself because it was, that was starting to depress me. Sure. Because I was like, you know what, this is only going one direction. When I thought I could turn it around. I thought I'd be fine, but every single time it was lower. Wow! It didn't matter. And so I'm thinking, I'm expending no energy. I'm just laying in bed, and all I'm doing is eating, and I'm losing weight. Yeah. And some some of these smart asses be like, "Oh, I wish I had that disease." I'm like, you know what? I wish you did too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah. So things started to turn around. I mean, I've never, 
you know, I've never been a bigger person, so I've always struggled, you know, and I won't say struggle, but I've never just gained weight. You know, I don't, I'm not a big weight. So it took me years to get to that size, so I'm pretty ticked off about so, that. So in big picture. when did you start <laughs> planning this thing where you're like, I'm going to go and travel as much as I can before, when did all that begin? Probably in March. Oh, that did. So yeah, that was but, before the surgery. Before the surgery. You said this summer I'm going to just, Yeah. What, what were you thinking? Well, I was thinking I just need to get stable. Okay. I was like, I need to get a treatment plan that I'm stable, that I can, you know, that I can travel. And I and I had a lot of what I would call just bad days where I couldn't be mobile, couldn't go and do anything. And so I decided I'm going to visit friends. I'm, I'm fortunate to have friends all over. So I, on this stop, on this trip so far, I think I've made, I've made 32 stops, different cities so far. Holy shit. And You've been traveling for what, almost two months now? Yep, two months. Eight weeks, uh... Friday, so, okay. so 58 days today. So like every other day you're in a different place. Yeah, on average, yeah. on a lot of places, you know, the longest I've been in one single place was just at my parents' place for the last uh, four nights in outside of Detroit. Okay. And then a lot of one-nighters, just one-hitters, um, a lot of road time. I think I've done 7,500 miles in eight weeks. Wow. Um, so, so it's awesome. So... Um, Oh, let me get back on track. So we were talking about... So you, you planned this trip oh, yeah. So I was, yeah. So I was basically looking at my calendar, or looking at the, the map, and saying, you know, where I know people, and trying to take a route where I can, you know, see people that I know. And the, and the idea was I would end up in D.C., you know, ultimately after seeing, you know, everyone, and my sister would just help take care of me and manage whatever was going on. Wow. So, I, um, so the two hard dates that I had, so I left on June 6th, D-Day. How about that? I left on June 6th uh, to start this trip. And the only two hard dates that I had in front of me were the 4th of July in D.C. Because, again, here I'm thinking I'm never, I'm not going to live another year. When you planned this trip, you thought this I'm, was your I, last my, summer. My last year. Your yeah, last, last summer. Of, yeah. yeah I, I, I didn't think I would live to see Christmas. Okay. I, you know, and it wasn't that I didn't want to. I just didn't feel like it. I was like, man, at this pace, how quickly I'm going down. You well, know, yeah, I don't have that much. You've been for 20 plus hours a day. You can't move. Yeah, I don't. You're yeah. 145 pounds. I mean, of course. Yeah, I'm like, right. I just, this, at this trajectory, there is no, it's the end, you know? Um, so I thought, we know, I've always wanted to go to be in the nation's capital on the 4th of July. So I had that as a hard date. And then also my 30 year reunion um, is a hard date. So those are the only two besides that. Everything was kind of flexible. And since I was going to where um, I knew people, you know, I just kind of built in like, hey, you know, I might get there and I might not be social. I might not be whatever. I might just need to lay down. But I just want to see you. I want to shake your hand. So I have a map that um, I'll show you after this that I have that everyone's signing for me. Wow. Um, I have that hard, hard hat. You might see me wearing here. It has stickers of all the places where I'm stopping. Probably uh -huh. gotten for 70% of the places. It was just kind of like a, you know. An wow. outbound like deal, a bucket list thing. Like this mm -hmm. is my last. This yeah. is my last go. Yeah. I want to see as many people as yeah. I can. Yeah, and so, and I so I'm seeing people. What did you say? Some people die in car accidents and never right, right. Die, I said, right? yeah. I tried to think of the upside was that you know you can die suddenly, like the the guy that we were talking about, um, our our mutual friend that passed away suddenly, okay, uh, or or in a car accident. I thought the upside of this is at least it's going to take a little while, and I'll get to say hi and bye to people that meant a lot to me or mean a lot to me. And so this, you know, if you took, if I took the average amount of time it's been that I've seen the people that I'm seeing on this trip, I would have to say it's probably 12 years, 12 before. Wow. But so that, so like, so this afternoon, I'm going to see uh, my best friend from high school with the stain on my pants. 
um, that I hadn't seen in uh, probably 15 years. And then two fraternity brothers that I haven't seen in a combined over 20 years each. No kidding. And yeah. you would have never done this otherwise. Never would have done it. And so I thought that this is the upside. I get to say bye. And so, and so everyone that I'm going to see is going to be understanding that this is what's going on with me. And so if I have to stop and I can't be social, they'll be fine with it. How much do you weigh now today? Uh, probably 170, 168, okay. 170. So I had gained back. I was up to like 177 about 10, 12 days ago. And I had another one of these surgeries. So unfortunately, even though I don't have this terminal illness, I have a series of surgeries I'm going to have to go through for about the next... Uh, I think five of them are planned. So I just finished the first one. Uh, I had one last Wednesday. I've got one in October, one in January. What do the surgeries do? Replacing they... replacing this uh, stent that they put in that because they only last about three months. Uh. The bile that goes through there is insanely corrosive, and so the stents, whether they're metal or plastic, can't stay in there longer than that. I think they're only FDA approved for twelve to fifteen weeks, something like that. Okay. So they have to be replaced. Uh, and, the, and the idea is that hopefully by doing this, they're going to get that thing wide enough and used to being open that it stays open. And if not, and then you won't need it. And if you have to, you'll just continue to go with this. I'll, I'll go with that. And there's another more invasive procedure that they can do that'll be a more permanent fix. But there, that's a kind of a last step. But the bottom line, compared to what I was looking at, is is nothing. Um, wow. So, but I'm definitely going to be under care and have another have at least three more, four more surgeries in front of me. And so, and, and after the surgery, you know, there is just just by the nature of it. Um, you know, it's irritating and you, and you don't want to eat. So I didn't eat for five or six days, so I probably gave back five or six, seven pounds. Right. So I'm probably back to 170 right now. But still, you're in a much yeah. different state. Yeah, by the time I go into my next surgery in uh, October, I, I believe that I'll get up to my actual weight again. Wow. Yeah. What is this, what what is life like for you? Party. It's a party, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a party. I mean, what, is, is, what awesome. is your outlook like, man? What I mean, is... my outlook is just, uh, you know, it's kind of the, I, what I've always thought, except I'm I'm just expressing it a lot more. Like when people talk about their problems, and again, I don't I don't downplay anyone's problems because you know if you have a problem in front of you, it, it's real to you. It's real. It's just sure. like if someone's psychotic and they think they see a monster, to them that monster is there, right? Mm -hmm. And so the problems, it's just trying to help people see, put their problems in perspective, and 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 really, what, what, for me, what it's done is. It just says, you know, it says to me, like, there's just so much opportunity in front of me. And the same stuff that was there before, it's just so much more clear. Like, there's no, I feel no barriers or boundaries to anything I want to do. So right now I'm contemplating, you know, moving to New York City, which I never have thought of doing. And I was just there and I visited. I'm like, you know what, I could see myself living here. People are like, the winter. I'm like, yeah, what the winter. I get yeah. coat. That should be the worst thing that ever happens. To yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's great. I mean, if that's my biggest problem, so it's awesome. So I'm looking at New York, maybe Miami, maybe go back to LA. No, no strings attached. No, no strings barred. Yeah, just kind of a free bird at this point. Yeah, and it's awesome. And so I'm just and just seeing all my friends and getting the support that I have. I mean, you know, people talk about mental health in this country, and you always think about it as being, you know, something where someone's deficient, and you know, that's what's causing them to do insane things. Well, I'm actually having on the upside that the, all this positivity of running into my friends and seeing these people and these connections it's given me so much energy and just so much vitality that that I could never even expect it I here I am trying to just say bye to people and now I'm getting 
you know, just it's like so a second much chance at life, almost yeah. in a weird way, because you were, you thought you were done. Yeah, it's like I starting thought, like a rebirth. It's yeah, crazy. It's freaking awesome. What do you see? I, I mean, he's always been positive. Like we talked about before the podcast. Yeah, uh, he's always been a positive guy. Even we were saying before we came on air, the doctors, the guys are people are telling you, hey man, at least act like you're a little sick. When you right, when right. you see your doctor, right? Because yeah. he's going into the hospital with such a positive demeanor. But do you see something different in, in this guy? Oh since, man, he, since, I, you know what I, I I do. I mean, he's just always been such an effervescent personality i mean just always uplifting and now it's like magnified you know it's just it's like on steroids it's just, yeah it's like, it's like, just like yeah. positivity on steroids. off of them yeah, yeah. It's, it's you awesome. can feel it man you can feel it's the energy yeah. it's beautiful what did you say this morning so i got up uh he's rocking white pants and, and a hawaiian he's, shirt he's, he's loving yeah. life i woke man. up I this it. morning uh <laughs> i got up i thought i was the first one up um, downstairs having a cup of coffee and the door opens and here he comes all full garbed up in gym clothes I'm like where you been he goes I just went up the road to the gym just this morning you probably can't sleep man yeah. you probably are just so energized now yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just, awesome and, and and I just wanna you know I want to you know I want everyone that I that I talk to to, to you know just see the more positive stuff in their life and I think it's when you're living it people can see it they you should start a it. podcast man yeah that's really what I should yeah I mean you should start a podcast because you you could you could, I mean you can make your own little niche too with this this whole experience and yeah it's know, just it's educate you can be educational you could you could change potentially save somebody's life save somebody from going through what you went through because hey it's not always exactly what it's supposed what it's diagnosed to be right I mean and people say you know with medicine it's you know you're going to a doctor's practice it's practice right it is yeah. we're not talking Iverson practice we ain't talking about practice. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's just it's an art. It really is. And I'm and I'm fortunate to be in a city, you know, and again, when you look at your life and you try to, you know, piece things together and say what happened where I mean, if I was not in LA, if I was in Kansas City or somewhere like that, or nothing in Kansas City or even another, you know, New Orleans, you know, a decent sized city, this probably doesn't get diagnosed. I'd probably die. Would you have would you have ultimately just what, what, what would have happened? Would you have died if this surgery didn't happen? What do you think would have would have occurred? Yeah, I was starting to have some organ failure. Okay. Uh, like the, when I was in the hospital, they they said I was having kidney failure. That was the first deal. Because bottom line is, you know, I had no fat, not getting the nutrients you need. I mean, your your body needs the stuff to right. run. I mean, you're I mean you literally breaking down. You're, you're you're just yeah. It, you know. So it it broke down. You know, all the weight that I lost was all muscle weight. I didn't, you know, I wasn't didn't have any fat on me at all, and so muscle is a great source of energy for your body, mm -hmm. and so it was, you know, just taking that it away from it was just eating away at you. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, just yeah. you know, and I just didn't have much to give. So even with the surgery that I had, even though I lost some weight, it was weight that I had to give. You know, I had it to give up, even yeah. though it's not, you know, what I would prefer. At one forty-five, you know, I this is how thin I got, you guys, is that my feet, I could step out of my shoes. You don't even think of there being fat in your in your feet, but you, even it gotten to the point where your body's searching so hard for nutrients that it I couldn't like my socks would slip into my shoes. Holy shit, man! That's that's how thin I was. Wow! And and the doctor said that there's there's fat pads around your heart because your heart's obviously a pump and it needs some sort of like a shock absorber type thing, and when those start to go, that's the last. And I'm starting to have that. That then you have cardiac problem. I mean you're. I mean, your body will fight to the the very end. It will. It will fight it until will. you know the last breath and the last beat of your heart, and it, it's using everything you got. And it was like it was it was game overtime. I was I was I was out of I was out of juice. 
I forgot to ask you, do that doctor who did the stents, is it the same one that's going to keep doing it? Or yeah. Or are you done with that guy? Yeah, so the, the doctor that, that uh, figured everything out, that what didn't, you know, and he talked about himself in the third person. He's awesome. He's, he, this guy's work for him. So the guy that's actually doing the procedure isn't the same guy that's that, that figured gotcha. all this out. But it, but it's a, it's a team of these guys, and so he's he's the brain power, and you know, and, that, and that's the thing too. That I look at this guy and I say, this is just he's a guy just like we are, another person, and just the amount of you know knowledge that he has that's so specific, yeah, that's so specific to what's going on with me. It's just it's amazing, you know, like he. Maybe somewhere else, you know, the guy's knowledge is completely useless. You get him in the middle of a forest or something. This guy's like the, you know, he's he's the he's the weakest link, right? Sure. But when you need him, when I'm like, the fact that this guy's brain is just so on to this particular problem that I found so him, specific of, of, yeah. of the billions of people in the world mm -hmm. that we have channels set up in you know in civilization that somehow can connect us. It's amazing. So that this guy who's one of the top people, me with a super rare condition, connected. And when that and when that happens. Magic, unbelievable. Where do you where, where do you where do you think he should go? You think he should end up in? Uh... I told him New York last night. I think he should go to New York City. I think he's he's got the attitude and the wit and the street smarts. You know, nothing against Southern California. It's yeah. a great spot, but yeah. I think I think NYC is I'm your next stop. I'm feeling it, baby. New York City, baby. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I'd love it. Yeah. What do you What do you want to do? What are you planning on doing once you get out there? Because you can't be doing beach uh, beach tennis nope, in New York City. <laughs> in the Hamptons, hey, maybe. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Don't say can't. Right. <laughs> never possible. say never. Never right? say never. Yeah. Um, God, you know, I, I, to be honest, I haven't put in a ton of thought. In, now, my background, the, probably the most value I have, street value, is in back in medical sales. And, you know, and I have mixed emotions about that. I mean, do I really want to be back in a hospital? You know, but at the same time, you know the the company that made the stent that that's inside of me right now. Uh, you know I wanted to thank everyone. I was I was thanking anyone and everyone that would listen when when all this stuff happened. Um, I called them. I, I sent them a letter and just told them, hey, love you, appreciate your product. Who is it? Can you tell? Them yeah, who it's it is? called Cook Medical. Okay. Uh, based out of Indianapolis, mm -hmm. and um, I started looking at jobs. For them. I'm like, you know what? I'll be. I've worked the medical device, and here I am walking around with the product inside me. What better of a deal can you no, do no doubt. And, and, and they did have an opening in LA at the same time I'm like oh this is meant to be my doctor's like dude like you need some time to relax yeah just, like, you just recover from he's like you, you you don't go from this to to working right. and whatever you need to get your weight back get your mind back uh, spend some time with your family you know I realized just because I was so afraid of what I would call these attacks that I would have when it got really severe I realized I hadn't left more than 20 miles from the hospital that was treating me for 14 months except for one time and that was when I went down to San Diego because uh, uh, one of my good friends had his first child and I went down to see him and I was paranoid the whole time mm -hmm. um, besides that I was always within 20 miles of the hospital for 14 months because I was that scared because yeah. yeah. something happens I don't need to go in and try to explain to someone else they already knew what was going on with me and uh, wow, yeah it, it was scary and then one of our fraternity brothers, I, I would be totally remiss if I didn't mention that, found out what was going on with me. Another buddy of mine in L.A., my, one of my buddies in L.A. had, you know, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, came over one day and he looked at me and he said, dude, you're at that point right now that if you don't get something, doesn't happen, if there's not some sort of intervention, you're you're going to be gone. He's like, and I, and I can't not do anything and then look back and say I should have done something. He's like, so I'm doing something today. That's what my buddy said to me. 
He's a good friend, but like not like I've talked to him twice since I've been on this trip. Right. Barely returns my calls. But he just said that day, you know, you're not. No, I got to do something. He reached out to my family and reached out to one of my fraternity brothers. And that fraternity brother, within 24 hours, was sitting in my living room and talking to me and asking me everything. And and you know, my fraternity brother is you know put together some cash. So this guy that I needed to see, this top guy, my insurance wasn't going to cover that because I'd already been diagnosed. I was already you know having treatments. And uh, they basically put together the cash so that I could see this guy. No kidding. My fraternity brothers did. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I hadn't worked in over a year. Just I was split full circle here, man. Straight back to that fraternity. Yeah. Those connections. And those guys, you know, I, when once I saw him, they made the case to my insurance company, hey, this this guy's really sick. Insurance company then opened me up carte blanche to whatever I needed. But if I wouldn't have gotten that initial step, it wasn't for these guys pushing and helping me out. Unbelievable. So and so now I'm coming back to thank them one at <laughs> a time. Hell yeah, hell yeah. What's been the <laughs> highlight of your trip so far? Yosemite, baby. Yosemite. Yosemite, just amazing. I mean, I mean, the highlight is the people, but that's hard sure, to say. Of that you, course, it, and of it's, course. It's, it's cliche. Well, but we it's, know it was Ara. Oh, oh Ara's gonna say. Come on, man. Let's be honest. Give a softball. Come on. Swing enemies. Um. That, that'd be pretty cool, though, Yosemite. Yosemite, yeah. yeah. And I, it wasn't even, it was just a thing I thought I'll pass through and whatever, but I was like, I was stunned by it. Just, I was amazed by it. I can't wait to get back there. But, you know, seeing everyone, that that's, you know, when the shit hit the fan and I thought I was in my 11th hour, the only thing that I wanted to do was to see my friends and family. That's it. Right. I was like, nothing else even mattered. I didn't care about anything else. Mm -hmm. Nothing. I'm like, and that's something I can do. That, that That's the most valuable thing that, to me, at that moment. You know, I've always been a really connections-heavy relationship person, and so for me, that that's all I cared about, and so and so that's what I did. I was like, you know, I this thing isn't taking that from me. I'm gonna go see everyone. Sure. And so sure. now, and then once I realized, you know, people are like, why don't you just go get a job? I'm like, I still want to do that, because you know, at, at some point, I will be at that point again. You know, because life does end for all of us. Maybe it'll be sudden. Maybe it'll be like this, and I'll wish for that again. And you know, how many people have told me on this trip. You know how much I would love to do that. People I've connected with, sure. people that the people they'll never see again. Oh, and, you, and it seems impossible. You just get in the car, put the pedal down, and you're there. All of a sudden, I'm at Ara's That's house. Crazy. I was at my parents' house yesterday. I'm at Ara's house today. I see my best friend from high school in a few minutes from now. Yeah, That's just, just because it's incredible. You go to them. It's incredible. You go, go, go to, go to them. It's just, weird how life throws different things at us. Yeah, and you never know where the path is going to lead. And I mean, if somebody told you a year ago that Next summer, you're going to be traveling the country by car and seeing dozens of people that you haven't seen in 15, 20 years. You'd say, you're crazy. Yeah. I, and, yeah. and here you are in my basement in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> the big time, you know, baby. I mean? like, <laughs> Spilling coffee crazy. everywhere. Like, shit. Just, <laughs> you know, it's just amazing how yeah. life puts, puts people in contact. Yeah. Um, are you on social media? Can people reach you or email if yeah. they have questions? Or Yeah. Um, I'm on I'm on Facebook. I don't know what's the best way to identify me. I, I try. I think Instagram. I'm like I'm a grown man. Should I be on Instagram? Instagram's a pretty cool thing. Should I be on? Yeah, it? Yeah, there's a lot of people on it. It's good to connect. I don't want all these ladies following me though. That's right. You know yeah, listen, man, I got to swat all away. Yeah, yeah, like right, these flies, you know? except a lot more of them. <laughs> um, or an email. You have an email address that, that people can reach you if they have any questions about like they're going through some some shit or some disease that kind of stuff. Yeah, some shit or some disease. Um, so my name is Robert Bowden again. So my email is R Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N, then T-E-X-X. It's all together. So that's my nickname. R Bowden text. Yeah, R Bowden we'll link text. link it up in the notes. At, at Gmail. Okay, at Gmail. Easy enough. And uh, that same thing can be used to find me on 
uh, Facebook. Awesome. Um, awesome. Tinder, Bumble, any other. There you go. See, he's on layers. Tinder, Bumble, but he won't go on Instagram. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. This was this is great, man. This is great. It's great to see you guys reconnecting like this. Absolutely. I'm sure you had fun on that brew boat last night downtown. You show, you show them a good time, Cleveland? I had a good time. I was I was impressed. It, it looks great. I mean, Cleveland's it, coming around, man. It looks good. And you guys Bay. got the Browns coming up this year, hopefully. You guys have hope. High high expectations. High hope. High when hope. the Browns start one and three or two and two, people will be going, here we go again. But they actually they should be competitive this year. Yeah. I think they'll have I think they will be a wild card team. Ten and six. Ten and six, I think. Take it. You, would right. you take nine and seven? Oh hell yeah! I'll take nine <laughs> and seven. <laughs> no problem. We've been going, we've been going like when you win two or three that. games a season for like the last ten years, you know, or wow. zero and yeah. sixteen. Yeah, we'll take nine and seven. We'll yeah. Take, who who do you root for? I was a Falcons fan my entire life. First professional sport sporting event I ever went to was Falcons versus Saints in Fulton County Stadium in the nineteen seventy seven. Wow. And when they lost to the Patriots after being up twenty eight three in the third quarter, <laughs> my heart was my heart wasn't broken. It was shattered, as they say in at the Waffle House: double covered, smothered, sliced, <laughs> diced, chopped. It was <laughs> all that stuff. And I, uh, I'm a Rams fan now. Yeah, go really? go. I mean, I'm in there LA, baby. Hey, it's the in thing to do. Well, when you move to New York, you're gonna have to fight with the who's gonna be the Giants or the Jets, right? That's that's another problem. Yeah, these, these are, are these problems, are, these are the man. Problems. <laughs> these are real these problems. Are my new problems. <laughs> these are my new problems. Hey, Rob. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming. Thanks out. for having me. It's nice to meet awesome you. Awesome outlook and, uh, on life, man. Great, great, beautiful. I love these kind of stories. It goes to show you that you just never give up. Yeah. And there's always a chance, no matter how bad it seems. There's yeah. always a chance. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was afraid to, to hope for something like this because I just thought I've had such a good life. I mean, how can I ask for anything more? It's just I thought, I'm, you know, it's wrong to, to, to ask Rob. I've had a great life, and just these are the, this is the hand I'm dealt. Just play the hand, and then you know, like I said, scary, embarrassing, and awesome. Then you got some pocket aces. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you ain't lying, boy. He wow. did, bro. He did. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for hooking this up, brother. We'll yeah. do it again. Thanks, guys. All right, you guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. yep.